I'll be reading Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Uh, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Would you pray with me? We're here to worship God and to praise Him. And this morning, we are also here to recognize that He has prepared hearts and minds in Laos to hear His gospel. He has set apart Michael and Chris Bowen and Cannon and Austin to go and to do that work. But God does not call someone to go unless he also calls someone to send. And he has called this congregation to participate in that work by sending them. And so this morning, Michael is going to come speak to us about that work. And he's going to encourage us with ways that we can participate and fulfill the calling that God has given to this congregation. I wish I had more boldness because I had a plan uh, to begin this lesson with a question that was not going to be rhetorical. And I was actually going to expect people to answer the question, and then we would interact, and it would be magical. But I'm a coward to my shame. I couldn't get over the fear of how awkward it would be if I asked the question and then no one answered, and then you would be feeling awkward and I would be feeling awkward, and we're already feeling awkward anyway, so I should have done it. Um, but I came up with a mechanism that would allow me to ask a rhetorical question and just pretend that you're answering, okay? So um, work with me. It's an easy question uh, that, that you would have no trouble with. And that is, uh, what, what, were, what was your favorite Bible story as a kid? When you were walking in these halls or when you were in the halls of some other church getting your, your early development Bible stories. What were your favorite stories? Good. I hear someone here saying, Daniel in the lion's den. That was a good one. <clears throat> yes. I remember that story well. Though I've always felt sorry for the lions, you know, because they starved them first to make them extra hungry, and then they were expecting maybe to eat Daniel, and the angels are closing their mouth. Nobody ever feels sorry for the lions in that story. <clears throat> That's a good one. Thank you. What else? Um, yes. Good. Noah and, and the flood. That is an excellent story about, you know, God just started over, didn't he, with creation. There's a movie coming out soon about that. That was one of my favorites, too. Thank you, uh, ma'am, for sharing. Um, yes, you in the balcony. Okay. Yeah, Moses, Moses and the Red Sea. Good. Yes. Um, I also uh, cherish that story. Um, man, what, what an incredible thing it would be to, you know, put your staff in there in the water. And then, you know, different artistic interpretations of that are so fascinating. Like, some people will paint, you know, fish in the wall, you know, that they're, the Israelites are looking at, you know. No one ever paints, like, all the drowning Egyptians. That, that never makes it into the picture, mercifully. Okay, put your hands down. We'll move on now. 
For the benefit of those in the fellowship hall, no one has been talking to me. I've been talking to myself the entire time. What I wanted us to see from this exercise that's really been great is that when we were little, we left Bible class feeling like God could do anything. Our favorite stories are the ones in which God does miraculous and wonderful things. When we were little, we left Bible class thinking about how God could do anything. And somehow, uh, somewhere between childhood and adulthood, our Bible classes sort of shifted. I don't know, maybe we matured or something, or our attention span grew. And we stopped thinking about the wonderful things that God did, and we started talking more about practical things, like how we should live and how we should act and how we should be. All wonderful things. But I don't want to lose the wonder of a God who can do anything. Of God who, for him, nothing is impossible. To my shame, sometimes I act or behave like a person who worships a God that might, maybe, perhaps, sometimes show up. When I should be acting like I serve a God who saved Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace. When they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. The first thing that I want to ask you to do this morning, church, is to believe like we did when we were kids, that God is capable of doing anything, that nothing is impossible for God, and that God can do something impossible in Laos, that God can save Laos, even though it's such a dark place, even though the culture is so different even though the language is going to be so hard to learn and Buddhism is strange and we don't even begin to understand animism, even though the odds are stacked against us, the first thing I want you to do is remember how big God is, how He can do anything, and believe, believe that God can do something amazing in Laos, that the God who impressed us at the Red Sea can impress us in Laos. Please, believe that God can do something impossible there. Let's don't underestimate Him. In uh, James chapter 5, James is giving a lesson on prayer, and he talks about the prophet Elijah. He says that Elijah prayed for it not to rain, and after that it didn't rain for three years. And then Elijah prayed again for it to rain, and God opened up the heavens and the crops received rain. And James knew how we are and how we interpret things when we read them. He knew that we were going to say, Yes, James, but that's Elijah, and he's special. He's a prophet of God. And so James prefaces that little story with these words that should both encourage us and challenge us. He said, Elijah was a human being just like us. And that should really encourage us because if it's true and we affirm that the things that are in the Bible are true, then James is telling us that our prayers matter. And that our prayers affect the world. That should encourage us, but it should also challenge us. Because if our prayers matter and affect the world, and if God can do anything, then this big God who can do anything won't do some things unless we ask Him. There's some responsibility in our hands. Let me give you some examples. 
look at the life of Jesus and his ministry. If the centurion had not come in faith and asked Jesus to heal his servant, would Jesus have healed that servant? No. Was Jesus willing for people to be healed? Absolutely. But would that man by the pool of Siloam be healed if he had not asked Jesus in faith to heal him? What about the widow at Nain and her son who had died? Would Jesus have raised that son if the woman had not asked him in faith? No. What about the man who was paralyzed and his friends lowered him through the roof in the building where Jesus was teaching? Was Jesus willing for that man to be healed? Absolutely he was. But he would have never done it if those people hadn't asked him in faith. So what I'm saying is there are things that Jesus is willing to do, but he won't do unless he's asked. And we could take that a little bit further and see that maybe there are stories in scriptures that we'll never read because Jesus never was asked to do something. That Jesus was willing to do some things that he didn't do because no one asked. Do you think uh, Hannah would have had the son Samuel if she had not prayed to God fervently for him? Hannah doesn't think so. Um, Hannah was barren, you know, and she prayed earnestly for a son. And when the Lord opened her womb and she had a son, she named him Samuel. And Samuel means, because I asked the Lord for him. Evidently, she believed that Samuel was the result of her prayers. She didn't name him, Wow, how neat. God happened to give me a son, and what a coincidence I had prayed for him earlier. It would be an unfortunate name. But Samuel means, Because I asked the Lord for him. Think about the life of Moses. He had a lot of great moments, okay? And if we were going to try to pinpoint... The greatest moment in the life of Moses, maybe the greatest prophet of God. You certainly wouldn't pick out when he, you know, killed the Egyptian. We look over that. We wouldn't pick out the time that he struck the rock and, you know, let his anger get a hold of him. Maybe we would say it was when he boldly, you know, spoke to Pharaoh, or when he brought down the tablets of stone, and when he stuck that staff in the Red Sea. But those aren't the best moments in the life of Moses. The best moment in the life of Moses was after the golden calf. And when he stood on the mountain with God, and God said, I've had it, I'm going to destroy this people. I'll start over with you, Moses. The greatest moment of Moses' life was when he interceded for a nation. When he stepped in and said, God, don't leave this people of yours, even though they're rebellious, even though they're stubborn. Don't leave them. Moses interceded for a nation and saved the nation. But Moses is a prophet and a big guy and not us. But James says there are people just like us. So the second thing that I'm asking you to do today is to not only believe that God is great and big enough to do anything, but to intercede for the people of Laos to intercede for the people of Laos the way Moses interceded for the people of Israel. In uh, Matthew 9 and Luke 10, both places, Jesus is on two different occasions sending out his disciples 
two by two into towns so that they can look for persons of peace. It's exactly what the Pinkstons and the Bowens are going to be doing in Laos. And at the beginning of, of both of those occasions, Jesus says the same thing. You know, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And then he asks the people to pray a very specific prayer. He says, ask the Lord of harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. It's interesting that he uses uh, the same phrase in both places. I mean, we see this a lot in the Gospels, right? Uh, different Gospel writers will, will hear things that Jesus repeated over and over and over again. And those are the things that really stick and they remember and they write that down in their Gospel accounts. And a lot of times, maybe the same story will be told, but some of the words will be different. The story is really the same, but each of the apostles is remembering it a little bit differently. And that's okay. And so it's interesting that we have two different writers, Matthew and Luke, writing to two different audiences about two different occasions. But Matthew and Luke in both places use the exact same words. And to me, that's saying that this is something that Jesus repeated over and over again. This was something that was in their hearts. It was a special maxim of Jesus, something that they repeated enough that they had memorized it word for word. It was that important to him. I want you to notice in this prayer that I just quoted, ask the Lord of harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. I want you to notice the conditional nature of that prayer. What I mean is, uh, if that prayer is not prayed, then the Lord may not send out workers into the harvest. Most of our English translations kind of miss this, right? Because they say, Ask the Lord of Harvest to send out workers. But another faithful translation would be, Ask the Lord of Harvest that He should send out workers into the harvest. Or, Ask the Lord of Harvest that He might send out workers into the harvest. What I'm trying to say to all of you here is that if we don't pray this prayer, then God may not do it. Because there are things that God is willing to do that He won't do unless He's asked. So this is your prayer. I know that you have, you know, sheets in front of you and you're accustomed to writing. So, you know, write this prayer down if you want. Uh, write it on your bulletin. Go to Matthew 9 and Luke 10 and underline it or highlight it. Write it on your mirror at home or in the front of your Bible. I don't know. But make this more than just a sermon that you hear one time. Make this something that changes your behaviors. Put this prayer on your lips every day for the people of Laos. Lord of the harvest, please send out workers into your harvest field. Every day. Somebody says, but aren't you guys the workers? Like, aren't you the Bowens and the Pinkstons? You're the workers that are being sent out into the harvest field. That's a good question. And maybe you've asked that question of yourself when you read those accounts. Because in the account of Matthew and Luke... Jesus is sending out 72 guys, right? He sent them out in pairs. And as he's sending them out, he says, pray to the Lord of harvest to send out workers into the harvest. So they must be like, well, if we're praying for workers, then what in the world are we? But this prayer is not for more missionaries to go into lost territory, no. This prayer is for God to raise up leaders in those dark territories to lead the churches that he is going to build. That's exactly what we are seeking for the Lord to do in Laos. For those of you who don't know, uh, 
we're going to be working in a hospital. That's how we'll obtain our visas to Laos. And Gavin is going to be teaching doctors how to practice medicine. I'll be teaching English, and our good wives will be using their professional skills there too. And through the relationships that we make in the hospital and in the community that we live in, we'll be praying earnestly and we'll be seeking every day these persons of peace. That's what Jesus calls them in Matthew 9 and Luke 10. These persons in whom God is already working, He's already shaping them, He's already preparing them to lead the church that hasn't even begun yet. Those are the people that we're looking to mentor and to disciple and raise up as leaders. See, we're not going to go try to be Randy Owens or be Tom Anderson or Miss Pinkston or Miss Betty Bender. We're not trying to be the leaders. We're trying to go and find the leaders and empower them and equip them and raise them up to do the work that God's called them to do. They just don't know it yet. So this is your prayer. I ask you to memorize it, to pray it every day on behalf of the people of Laos. Because God is able to do anything, and our prayers matter, and they affect the world. And because without your prayers, uh, we are going to be stranded over there. Without your prayers, we're going to be stranded. Earlier I used this, uh, this illustration about uh, a spear, right? And we were the point of the spear. Another good illustration would be to think about an army. And we're just the front line of the army. But what can we do without you? Did you know that missionaries are not God's plan to reach the lost? It's true. I can't believe I'm saying it here, but yes. Missionaries are not God's plan to reach these lost and dark places. There are, there are dark places all over the world, just like Laos, where people are going to be born, live, and die without hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ, even once. Places like this everywhere. And God's plan is not to send missionaries into those places and break down those barriers. Jesus told what his plan was in Matthew 16, right around verse 18. Peter had just said that, you know, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus liked that, and he said, this has been revealed to you by God and not by man. And then he said, I'm going to build my church. My church is what I'm going to build. And the gates of hell will not be able to withstand it. What is it that the gates of hell can't withstand? Missionaries? No. The Pinkstons and the Bowens? No. The church. The church is what is too much for the gates of hell to handle. We get this passage twisted when we skim over it, right? Because in our mind, the church is on defense, okay? And, you know, the gates of hell are attacking the church. And we're just thankful that the gates of hell are not going to be able to overcome us, okay? That's totally not what Jesus said, right? <coughs> And whoever used the gate as a weapon anyway? Bo, I was a youth minister, and like you, I probably spent hours talking to teenage boys about the zombie apocalypse. What's the number one question they ask in the zombie apocalypse? What would be your weapon of choice? 
Some guys want a chainsaw. Some want a baseball bat. Others just want guns. Okay? But never has a teenage boy told me in the zombie apocalypse, my weapon of choice would be a gate. Has not happened yet. Right? Because the gates of hell are defensive structures and they're tall and they're strong and the bars are thick and they're placed all around the people of Laos. And Jesus didn't promise that missionaries would be too much for those gates to overcome. He didn't promise that the Bowens and the Pinkstons could go and knock those gates over. No, Satan isn't scared when he sees us coming at his big walls. But Jesus did promise that the church is too much for those gates. The church, all of us, are too much for those gates. So when Satan sees us coming, he's not scared. But when he sees the church raining down on him, he might start to get nervous. So think of us like an army. All of us. An army that's been promised victory. Gates of hell can't stand against us. And imagine that the pieces and the bowens we're the front line, you know, and we go charging out with our paint and war hammers, right? We get up to the gate and look behind us, and the cavalry is gone. Be pitiful, wouldn't it? That's why we're begging you. That's why I'm begging you to pray. That's why you must pray. You must. Because God could have sent anyone to Laos, but He chose us. God could have called any church to send us, but He chose you. So the responsibility doesn't rest with the four of us and our kids. The responsibility doesn't rest with the elders. If you're a member of the West 7th Church or the Woodbury Church, the responsibility rests equally on you to intercede for this nation. We're all in it together. We're all in it together. God the Lord. God the Lord is the only hope of seven million people in Laos. And you are being called to pray for people that you will never meet. Unless, perhaps, <clears throat> you meet them on the other side of death. And you see them in heaven and they say, I'm here because you prayed. So this is your prayer. <clears throat> beg you to pray it daily. I beg you to place it on your heart. We're going to pray it daily. I ask you to join us. In a moment, I will lead us in this prayer. What will be, I hope, the first of thousands like it.
that are uttered by the people of West 7th and the Woodbury Church. But before I do, I want to point your eyes toward the star of this prayer. Notice that this is not a prayer to the Lord of Harvest to give us strength to do something great. It's not a prayer to the Lord of Harvest to equip us to do His work. It's not a prayer to the Lord of Harvest to give us opportunity to give Him glory. We are not involved in this prayer at all. This prayer is all about God. Lord of the Harvest, we ask You to do what only You can do. So, when the Lord hears our prayer, and there's great success, and many people that don't know God put on Christ, let us never say this was a wise investment of a shrewd eldership. Let us never say, you know, the Bowens and the Pinkstons really had the right strategy, really fine missionaries. Let the people say, wow, look at what God has done. When Paul and Barnabas got back from their mission trip, they came back and they gathered the church that had sent them Antioch. And they got everybody together to tell them what God had done. Didn't talk about what they did. Didn't praise the church for sending them. They acknowledged that everything that happened was from God. I'm here to tell you, there are things that God wants to do He's not going to do unless we ask. Will you join me in the first of many prayers to the Lord of Harvest? Lord of the Harvest, please send workers into your harvest field of Laos. We ask this by the authority of Jesus. Amen. In a minute or two, we're going to stand together and sing a song. That song has been designed to encourage you to do one of two things. First, it's to encourage you to come forward seeking the prayers of our shepherds and our church. And secondly, it's to encourage you to hear the gospel and obey it. Put on Christ in baptism. For God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And on the third day, he rose again, not only to give us an example of what we will do when we are resurrected, but to provide forgiveness of sins. And indeed, it is good news. If you would like to receive the prayers of the church or put on Christ in baptism, please come while we stand and sing.